All right, we're going to get started here. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. We are very excited to be kicking off the first session here at San Francisco Music Tech. Uh, this is a, a, a very important uh, session here, as it's the first time in San Francisco Music Tech's history that we're going to be talking about the car, uh, which is interesting because the car is, is typically a temple of music for a lot of people and, and a place where many, many consumers spend a lot of time consuming uh, music content. I've got a, a great group of folks here today. Um, I'm going to start to my right uh, with Chris Martin from Pandora. Uh, to the right of him, we've got Thomas Hutchins from TuneIn. And then we've got Damon Lavrine. Lavrince. Lavrince. Close enough. It's I, fine. Can't sp- I can't in. It's, right. I'm going to put an E at the end of the name. It's you should. You should. <laughs> and uh, at the end here, we've got Phil Abrams from General Motors. Uh, just a quick note before we get into the panel, a couple, uh, a couple terms that you may hear during the panel that if you haven't worked a lot with automotive, uh, in the automotive space, you may not be familiar with. OEM, Original Equipment Manufacturer, is a term that's used quite a bit and you may hear in the panel today. That would be Phil down there at the end, the General Motors, uh, the car manufacturers. These are the folks that actually make the cars. Um, you may hear a reference to what's called a Tier 1 supplier. Tier 1 suppliers are the folks that work directly for the OEMs, and they're the folks that make the head units. Um, and then you've got sets of service providers, and you've got two service providers here on the panel in TuneIn and Pandora. So just quick vocabulary check for everybody as we get started. So we're going to start off with quick intros, uh, just have people tell you a little bit. Uh, about their company, what they do for their company, and then most importantly, what kind of car they drive. Hmm. We'll start with you. My name is Chris Martin. I'm the Vice President of Engineering at Pandora. I've been there uh, seven years, ten months, and three days. Give or take take a couple hours. We've done a ton with the cars. We have 18 automotive brand partnerships announced, and we're in over 60 models. We've been working on those for four or five years now. And uh, I personally drive as a car and 10 year old Acura which has a tape adapter but I typically ride my bike which has a uh, jam box bluetooth connected nice <laughs> hi I'm Thomas Hutchings vice president of engineering for TuneIn I have also been uh, an old hand there now over six years and eight months something like that <laughs> don't have the days and hours uh, TuneIn is focused uh, for the past several years on making it simple to find and listen to radio through all manner of connected devices, uh, kind of evolving that a bit to now working more towards revolutionizing the live audio internet. And so, uh, you know, bringing as much of that great content to as many places as possible, but particularly uh, automotive. And uh, don't have specific figures on how many vehicles uh, or different uh, models and manufacturers we're in, uh, but you know, something on the lines of uh, four or five today, many others in the works. Um, been really interesting watching you know, the evolution of this as a platform. Uh, you know, consumers are kind of ahead of the game to some extent, uh, using applications on their mobile devices today in the car, and now seeing that transition to in uh, the devices themselves. So I'm very happy to be on this panel talking about how that transition is taking shape. Um, I don't own a car or drive one currently, um, although partly my, I, my wife has one, a Honda Fit, uh, which I occasionally jet out on. Used to drive a Subaru WRX STI rally car uh, back when I was in Texas. So for those of you who know, uh, very, very fun vehicle. 
Uh, hi, my name is Damon Laverance. I'm the uh, transportation editor uh, for Wired. I uh, do most of my work on Wired's automotive site, which is called Autopia. So it's wired.com slash Autopia. Uh, I'm uh, oversee, we do a lot of coverage uh, mainly with connected car technology, uh, telematics, um, a lot of uh, alt powertrain stuff, uh, but not the kind of geeky Prius weenie stuff. It's more, um, more uh, kind of, you know, how technology can boost performance and fuel economy at the same time. Um, my background, I've been an automotive journalist for uh, the better part of a decade now. Um, came to Wired uh, actually earlier this year um, to kind of hone their focus, kind of bringing the same kind of uh, kind of excitement and enthusiasm that the consumer electronics space has for smartphones and tablets and that kind of thing into the car world. Um, so do, like I said, a lot of focus on, you know, getting your uh, smartphone connected to your car, uh, discuss a lot about interface design, um, how this stuff can be brought in safely. Um, as for my car, um, since I'm a journalist, I, I, I get a new car every week to test. So uh, depending tough, on the week, it, it really is. It's 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 a really rough life. So it could be something as you know as pedestrian as a Honda Fit, or it could be something as nice as a Bentley Mulsanne. But this week I'm actually driving my own car, which is a uh, BMW 135i. So, hi, my name is Phil Abram. I'm the chief infotainment officer for General Motors, and what that means is is always an interesting point because I really don't like the word infotainment uh, because it's not a consumer friendly word. It's this fabricated work. So I'm. I'm fairly conflicted about my job title, um, but I've, I've, I've been in that job for about nine months now, and prior to that, I was the president and COO of Sonos, a multi-room music um, provider, and so uh, I've had the opportunity to work with both Pandora and TuneIn in that prior life and you know opportunities to work with them again. So really why I'm at GM is kind of why this panel exists, is to bring that CE connected experience to the car uh, and I have an opportunity to, to help the company do that. Now, uh, not unlike Damon, I drive a variety of cars because I work for a place that makes them um, and I was driving an ATS earlier today. It's sitting out in front. It's a lovely opulent blue yes, <laughs> uh, car that's out there um, but uh, the car I have right now is uh, an Escalade that I'm driving around because winter's coming to Detroit and I want to make sure I make it through that <laughs> great so let's start down at this end of the, uh, of the table here and talk a little bit about what the car of the future is going to look like for the consumer. As you mentioned, infotainment is a kind of a strange uh, term here, but we, do we, should we expect a, a real revolution here in terms of the capabilities in the car, both from the perspective of connectivity and entertainment options? And if so, what, what are they going to look like? Yeah, and I, I absolutely believe that, and that's fundamentally why I, I joined General Motors is that um, what, what's happened in the car today, the car in five years will be nothing like that I, in terms of the experience. Um, and it's because of all this information. It's not just music, and, we, and we're, we're here to talk about music, and that's certainly an important element of it. But if you go back a number of years, if you think about it, speed in a car was a rotating cable that drove a needle on the dashboard. Well, and imagine trying to share that information with something else so that it could be then developed and, and turned into another application. Well, you can't. Now speed is a sensor on a wheel, and it, the information is digitized, and you can display it on a screen, uh, on several screens, take and process that information and deliver a new experience for the customer. And we're just 
just have our toe over the line in what that capability is because we have so many sensors in the car. There's so much digital information in the car, and we're now putting in place the processing power and the applications that integrate those and create new experiences for customers. And, and we'll talk more as, as we go through the panel about some of the new products that we have as examples of different ways of, of, of meeting those new sets of needs. And I think that in five years, it's going to be a software-defined experience in the car. Is that just the way that it's going? So I think it's going to be a so an is amazing So is this akin to the evolution from our older phones to our smartphone, our older TVs to our smart TV? Is this new car no. the smart car? No, I, I think it's more focused than that. Um, I used to run the TV business for Sony Electronics for a while, and so I'm familiar with that transition as well. And those were more general platforms, frankly, where you're trying to pr provide this wide array of things to people and, and you're building a platform. The car, at the end of the day and the beginning of the day, is a car. It's 3,000 pounds hurtling down the road at 70 or 80 miles an hour, and it's not like a smartphone or a TV that's set into your living room. And so the whole context in which we're looking at this transition needs to be grounded in the fact that this is a car first foremost. And whatever we do has to take, you know, understand that. And it's more, I, I, the analogy I draw is more like, um, and more application based. And, um, for example, how many people in here buy electric motors for their kitchen? <laughs> Nobody goes out and buys an electric motor for their kitchen. However, you probably own six or seven electric motors, but you never thought about that because you're just buying the application. Can this crush the ice to make my margarita? And that's the dimension you qualify it on. Same thing with all the technology and the connectedness and everything we're talking about in the car. It's does it help make that car better? And how it does it, and we were talking earlier, should be magic. And that's where we have to get to in this. Okay. Damon, yeah, what's your perspective here? Yeah, just to kind of jump in. I mean, you know, you're going to hear a lot of comparisons to, you know, kind of the smartphone revolution and, and, and what happened with the iPhone kind of kicking that off. Um, and, you know, the average consumer doesn't want their connected life to stop when they get in the car. They still want to be able to um, be updated about certain things. They still want to have access to uh, the audio stuff they'd be listening to at home. Um, I, I'm not sure. What's the, what was the last? Uh, I know Pandora had a stat a while ago about how much music is consumed in the car. Or 40%. 40%. 40%. Yeah. Of radio listening is in the car. Is in the car. So, um, but, you know, these all bring on issues that GM and other automakers are, are really focusing on right now is, you know, how do you, how do you bring all this connected technology into the car while still kind of ma maintaining the integrity of the vehicle and, of course, obviously the safety aspect of it. Um, and you'll hear us talk about HMI, which is human-machine interface. Um, uh, anybody that's you know used uh, an iPad or an Android device, um, you know they're used to having you know a set of icons and a menu structure that's relatively simple to understand. And unfortunately, those paradigms, those those user interface designs, don't translate very well to the car um, for a multitude of reasons. Um, you know, most uh, if you would ask consumers what they want in their car, a lot of times they say, I just want to plug in my phone and it appears on the screen and I can access all the same things. That's horrible. I mean, that's that's the that worst possible thing. thing, you know. Um, the, the you know the interface that's designed on your phone 
is designed for you to look at it in the palm of your hand and press buttons and look down at it the entire time. Um, and that's where you know automakers are looking at different uh, user interface um, situations. They're looking at uh, voice controls, which are a really big push right now. Voice controlling cars is is probably one of the biggest advancements we're going to see in the next four to five years. Um, and at the same time, though, you know, where's the line between I'm just kind of getting into a car or I'm getting into a device? And most consumers have very much spoken with their wallets. They're, they're, the, the commoditization of the vehicle has been going on for years. You know, um, you look at the average uh, Camry or Prius or Malibu or something like that. Um, you know, it's practically a dishwasher for people. You know, it is their margarita maker <laughs> to uh, to pull off Phil's thing. You know, it's it's strictly a tool for men to get from point A to point B, and. Um, and from an enthusiast perspective, that's that that kind of sucks. Well, you know, I, I I still think that <laughs> there's an emotional connection to the car that I don't have with my dishwasher. I, I don't would hope name not. I don't name <clears throat> my you know people name their cars and 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 that's one of the exciting things about coming into there is is there it is more than just an appliance. There's an emotional and a visceral connection to the car that is an opportunity for all of us to, to, to figure out how to tap into and, and bring this to life there. So it's, it won't get to be, I, for, for a segment of the market, yeah, I think it'll be an appliance. But I think for a very large segment still, it'll still be an, an emotional attachment to the vehicle that we have to recognize and, and embrace. It, it's a great as a marketer to have that level of emotional attachment to a product. Until it starts driving itself. All right, so let's uh, <laughs> let, let's segue here to music. Uh, I think. Uh, Can we say one more thing about? Yeah, the, absolutely. What the connect the car of the future? I think it's really the things that are in, really interesting to us as a technology and um, listening provider are really around uh, connecting the car instead of through your phone. So it's part of your data plan, maybe through you know the carrier, so that you have a partnership. You know, you have five devices as opposed to uh, one device, and so the connected car. And I think. Um, as the browser comes to the car, although it'll be a very controlled experience, there's a lot of technology innovation in bringing HTML5 to the car. So I think that's worth noting. Those two things are on the horizon and really exciting for us as uh, app providers. Anything yeah. you want to say there? Yeah, sure. Uh, so you know, the main point I'd make is I think everybody here has uh, got you know maybe part of the the picture five years ahead. I think that the connected car of the future. Um, some of them are going to look very much like they do today, and some of them are going to look nothing like cars on the road today. Uh, what some of the folks out there are doing in terms of innovation, uh, you know, one example you could point to uh, would be Tesla. Uh, for those of you who have seen the system that they've got in terms of the hardware there, it's a huge screen, uh, huge level of interactivity, um, and, and different modes of operation. So what you can do while you're driving being very different than what you can do while you're parked or in lower motion. And, and so an opportunity for kind of a richness of experience and engagement that can occur uh, in, in one mode versus the other um, being really important. Um, so uh, I, I think overall when, again, we look at the experiences that uh, – people are going to have with their cars over time, um, personalization is, is going to be key. And, and I totally agree with Phil that uh, there's a connection to a vehicle um, that, that enthusiasts and, and consumers alike uh, have that is different than many other kinds of appliances and that the software, uh, particularly on the technology side, is going to enable uh, a far greater level of personalization and interaction with the vehicle as possible today. Okay. 
Thanks. Let's let's turn our uh, attention to music a little bit. And you know, as you look at music behavior, music listening behavior in the car, ninety six percent of consumers are still listening to AM FM radio. It's it's definitely met their needs to some degree, as as so many of them consume it. Obviously, we've got a few folks here on the panel that are approaching the evolution from broadcast AM FM to digital in different ways. Uh, Chris, why don't you start off and talk a little bit about What's Pandora doing to try to enrich the music experience in this digital age for the consumer? And how are you, how are you differentiating what you, you're doing to AMFM? Obviously, well, I guess obviously. Pandora is really focused on personalized radio. So we want to bring that into the car the same way we have to the browser, to the TVs, and to the phone, the smartphones. And so we're really looking to bring that sort of hands-free experience where you can continue to engage with Pandora in a personalized way while continuing to get that you know ease of use that you get everywhere else. Um, so that's our drive is really personalized, curated experience in the car that works, you know, just as well as it does everywhere else for Pandora. And I think that's a huge distinguishing factor from terrestrial and uh, as well as the more focused streaming services that are heavily interactive, such as the um, download services and things like that. So it's a personalized, easy experience. Okay. Thomas? Yeah. So, um, you know, we could talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing here, which is essentially democratizing the dial. Uh, so 96% of people listen to radio in the car because uh, it's easy and the content is generally great. You know, not every station that's out there is doing a great job, but a few of them are. A few of them really resonate uh, with people. And so what TuneIn is trying to do is, you know, of course, uh, make those available and augment, uh, complement them, supplement them in ways that's not possible. So marrying the analog and the digital domain, but offering an opportunity to explore more. Uh, you know, the connection to another place, another time, uh, is incredibly relevant for a huge number of people. When we look at, uh, you know, how many folks are tuning in through our service to something local versus something non-local, there's a sizable split. And the reason for that is that, you know, we've all... Do you want, do you want to share that split? Yeah, so it's uh, something like 60-40 or 70-30, depending on the station. Um, and and a, a pretty interesting dynamic in terms of how many people are listening to content that's in another country. Uh, if we look at the BBC, for example, there's a huge amount of listening um, from major metro areas uh, in the country. And so, being able to you know provide that level of experience that you know everyone in their life has <laughs> taken a, a figurative journey. Uh, you're in your car. You're taking a literal journey. Uh, being able to uh, go back and, and interact with those places that you, that you've known in the past, uh, but being fully present. So tuning in to my hometown in Dallas and, and commiserating with all the sports fans since the Rangers didn't make the playoffs uh, is really powerful, uh, really emotional, and uh, we think is you know something that's certainly uh, going to continue for the longer haul. Yeah, Phil? yeah. The the number of people listen to AMFM, but they're also listening to other things, and so mm-hmm. the, you know, ninety six do that, but fifty percent listen to this, and forty seven percent, and it, then you take that and you look at it on a global basis. Um, you know, right now Pandora has just announced they're going into New Zealand and Australia soon here, and and so there's um, a great deal of complexity that we keep adding into the car in terms of well, I want to work with my AM and my FM and in North America, my XM, the Sirius XM, and in Pandora, and then tune in. And if I'm in, 
you know, the Norwegian countries, I've got to have Spotify, and you can keep on rolling this out. And so as, as a, a car manufacturer at OEM, um, the challenge is how do we present all of this capability to somebody in a way that's simple for them and pulls the complexity back out of it because there, there's so many choices out there uh, and on a global basis. So that's really one of the things we're, we're, we're spending a lot of time trying to f- really figure out how to do that so that people can get to what they want without having to weed through all the stuff that they don't want. And there's a lot of that, that mix too. And is it possible for you to have one universal platform in a world where there's so much diversity in terms of the service providers on a global scale? I think there is at a level with the right set of APIs. There, there isn't going to be one service that is going to be meaningful. And actually, I think the direction there is it's going to be more and more targeted and niched because it's, you know, the personalization we're talking about there, if I'm interested in classical music or if I'm interested in a particular type of music, I'm in a different place. I, I don't think there's going to be like maybe some other things where there's one or two global winners in this. You go to Brazil, you're going to get a very different answer than if you're in China than if you're in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope we can abstract it to a layer where we have a common set of things we put in the car with APIs that are then we can partner with people and have them write against that. By the way, I love the fact that on that entire list of Spotify and Pandora and TuneIn, and nobody mentioned the CD. Thank God. Hey, uh, hey, easy now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Phil brings up a really good point, and, and, and it's something that I'm seeing, you know, testing as many vehicles as I do, that there is no kind of holistic approach to these integrations. Um, you know, if I want to use, you know, pan to uh, for a Pandora, Pandora is the, the best example. They're integrated in more vehicles than any other service out there, period. Um how many how many automakers are you working with now? Eighteen. I, Eighteen I brand. They're, they're more integrated than any other network based service. I would say Sirius XM okay. is integrated <coughs> yeah. into more, and it is yeah a, a, a very similar service provider in terms of the customer experience. Right. Um, you know the the major thing though is Pandora has been this service that you know kind of lived on your phone, lived on your desktop, and they've managed to bring the interface into the car, and they've done it really really well. That said, the interface is pretty simple. Um, you've got a list, you've got your stations, you've got up, you know, thumb up, thumb down, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the biggest issue right now, more than anything else, is um, as a consumer, I want to listen to Pandora, but I also want to listen to my Spotify playlists or my audio playlists. And at this point, there's really no way for me to integrate that into the car because the automakers, to a large extent, have kind of locked down their ecosystems. And you're talking about bringing APIs out, and, and we're going to start seeing that more and more and more where they're, you know, automakers are actively courting developers and saying, look, develop your, um, your platform leveraging our, our technology. We're not at that point yet, and it's going to be a while until um, we start seeing that. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and I'm sure Phil can speak to him probably better than I can working in an automaker. But from what we see, you know, uh, for or what I see in different vehicles, you know, each automaker is very, very adamant on keeping themselves locked into their own ecosystem. They uh, they want to keep things. Um, they want to have complete control of the user interface experience. They want to have com- complete control of what apps the uh, person has access to. And while that's great from a safety and an integration point of view, at the end of the day, if I'm going li- to listen to Spotify on my phone, on my car, and I get to stream it through Bluetooth, what do I have to do? I have to scroll through the playlist, hit play. That's unsafe. 
and this kind of barrier of the automakers um, trying to figure out exactly what services are resonating most with consumers like Pandora has, obviously, um, seems to be one major barrier they need to get through. So, Phil, do you want to respond to that? I mean, I think we've seen... We've seen quite a bit of innovation with regards to the automakers' willingness to embrace app developers and applications over the last couple of years. So do you feel the ecosystem is locked down, quote-unquote, or, or are you trying to find that right balance between still interfacing with the consumer and, and controlling a consumer experience and making sure it's great because it's yep. your vehicle ultimately yep. and also giving them the choice that they want? Yeah, I, I, I would say today... Um as an industry, the OEMs have done a rather poor job uh, of really creating the right set of standards and, and doing that. Um, even I, I do think that ine- inevitably there will be restraints on the user experience that we have to impose. We're a regulated industry. We have sure. regulations that we have to meet on, on a global basis, so there are going to be limitations we have to put on there. That said, I don't think we've done a particularly good job of saying, okay, here, describe. I'm going to describe to you the user experience parameters. Now, within those parameters, have at it and, and be, you know, go out and develop. And here are a set of APIs and some standard technology bases to do that. We've got to get there. We're, we're moving in that direction, not at the speed that the people in this room are used to dealing with. Uh, but for an automaker, actually, we're making people nervous in terms of how fast we're trying to drive some of those changes. And it, I think that it's not going to be a long time. I think it's going to be no, in the next six to 12 months that we're going to start seeing some more of that come out. Chris, will your uh, engineering teams complain when they don't have to integrate 19 different uh, automotive platforms? Uh, I was sitting here thinking about what we've done with CE. We, we, we built an API that's been implemented on I don't know how many, across how many manufacturers, but uh, over 500 different SKUs that are sold at Best Buy that play Pandora. And we're trying to do the same thing with automotive and the smartphone implementation where we have an API on our RIM, <coughs> Gulp, uh, Android, and iPhone <laughs> apps. And, and we continue to maintain that for our OEM partners. And so uh, as much as we've you know, driven the uh, development community to that in the, in the OEMs and Tier 1s, um, we also have some unique implementations across some of our partners that are... So we don't have quite 18 different implementations, but we have a number, and they're they're incredibly difficult to maintain depending on how they were developed. But um, we're hoping that change. And again, just to bring it back to the sort of browser-based connected car experience, uh, we'll have a lot more control. We'll have a lot more ability to update and change and evolve um, the experience over time and bring more to the user. Yeah, I think it's fundamentally a hard problem. As Phil said, you've got a lot of regulation, uh, safety rules, and so forth that you have to adhere to. At the same time, you have different audience expectations. You know, what does an experience look like in Western Europe relative to uh, Japan versus North America and so forth? And then you have market segments as well. You know, the kind of system that you would put in place for a very high-end vehicle with... uh, you know, more affluent buyer might be less technologically savvy is going to be very different than uh, what we would have for my Honda Fit, uh, a younger crowd, more technologically uh, sophisticated, and so forth. Um, so you, you know, are going to want to try to tailor those experiences, and then again, uh, cognizant of all the regulations that you're operating under. What we have tried to do from an application perspective is preserve a consistency in uh, you know the overall experience. 
um, to kind of borrow a term from the Pandora side, we'd say it's the tune-in DNA, um, which is, you know, again, a, a very simple, familiar, intuitive way to get to content. And while that varies based on whether you're using a mobile device or an LCD screen on a Sonos system or uh, a 7-inch touchscreen on a vehicle, um, you know, people kind of feel around uh, and, and experience that in a similar fashion. Phil, would you say that the car is more complex than the smartphone in terms of this type of integration? I mean, obviously, you've got all the other things that make it a car. Mm -hmm. But from an infotainment perspective, are there more complexities there? You've got the safety regulations, but what else do do app developers have to think about when they think about integrating into the car? I'd say that it depends on which dimension you're picking. Um, and some of them, it's it's far simpler in terms of, well, frankly, the screen real estate and how you're going to use that and things. It needs to be more narrowed down and, and less robust. I think that um, when we start exposing some more of the car information through those APIs, um, it'll get more complex in some way because the, the the data that is being delivered back from the vehicle to to the um, to the applications is going to be very interesting and and complex in terms of what you can and can't do with that and and how you can then turn that into new experiences for consumers. Um, And we've we've announced some APIs for, like, our our services. Uh, And folks like Relay Rides are taking advantage of those to offer a new application, a new experience where you can, you know, share your car and and, and monetize that, right? That's a complex set of, of interactions that go on there. And that's just a first example. And if you get more, more deeper and deeper into what, what's going on in the car and allowing developers access to that, I think it's going to be a very interesting mix and more complicated in a lot of ways. Uh, one quick comment on that, which is uh, you know, being able to marry disparate components within the vehicle. Uh, certainly from our perspective, a lot of these things are still shipping with analog AM, FM. Uh, and as I mentioned before, that it's kind of an impoverished experience that you have with that, but it's one that's uh, very, very simple, straightforward to use. Um, radio has evolved incrementally itself into RDS and being able to you know, push a song title and that kind of thing over. Uh, but when you add a digital connection, there's an opportunity there to really create a, a much richer overall experience. And so the extent that uh, those kinds of interconnects are available and accessible to application developers, I think we'll see a lot of kind of creative um, experiences uh, as a result. Thomas, are you seeing the AMFM community embrace your service and, and look at it as a way to offer different programming than they offer terrestrially, or is it is it to them simply a distribution channel? Uh, I think that for the most part, it's making them whole. It's increasing their reach. Uh, all of them recognize that this is a medium in transition and that to simply rest on the laurels of the 90, 96% figure uh, week to week is foolhardy, uh, if not foolish. And so uh, looking at TuneIn, as well as potential others uh, that have distribution, as yet another way to get back that audience to recapture them uh, that they might be otherwise losing. Um, I think many of them uh, do share concern about 
competitive or what they perceive to be competitive services, you know, how do they live in a world of Pandora and Spotify and your iTunes collection and Google Play and on and on and on. Um, but many of them also recognize, as we do, that those are kind of complementary experiences. And, uh, you know, you might in the morning be getting your news and, and traffic reports and listen to the local DJs yuck it up for a while. Um, but then when you're on the way home, you need to relax. And so you want to listen to some great music. And maybe at that point, you know, you turn on to a music service. Um, so, yeah, having that choice, uh, I think they would say, is overall valuable for them. Um, and so, yeah, we've seen very little pushback in in terms of uh, their relationship with TuneIn. That's great. All right, so let's talk a little bit about kind of beyond curated content for a little bit. Great services here, but uh, there's a lot of folks in the room here from Rhapsody, from RDO, from some of the other large cloud music services that are out there. What is the reality of, you know, accessing 16 million songs or so in the car? You know, we've talked a little bit about these safety concerns. You know, are these services that OEMs are embracing, and do you see these services evolving in the car as well? Sure. Um, I think as, as an OEM, what we have to do is, I'm, I'm going to stop saying, you know, given the constraints of the safety and the cognitive loading and all those other elements there. Um, see, see previous disclaimer. Right, yeah. Um, you know, pull the string and repeat it. But um, that uh, what I think our job is is to create that environment upon which all of those can be successfully deployed and the customer choose what is the right one for them. I, I don't think as an uh, auto manufacturer I should pick winners and losers in uh, a connected music space. Um, I'm I'm in the business of providing our customers the greatest experience we can across the broadest array of those, uh, and that that's what our intent or our, our objective should be, especially on once again on a global basis, um, to do this as efficiently. And I think that's the right word. There is there's an efficiency that we have to drive in doing this. Efficiency for the partner, efficiency for the OEM, and most of all, efficiency for the consumer in terms of their experience in getting to these. If we make them, you know sit on their head and spit nickels in order to get to a particular <laughs> service, that's not going to be good for any of the participants. Like <laughs> uh, and and that, that's, that's really what are our challenges. And it's, it's, um, it's not something that is intuitive or natural to the OEMs today. They don't think in those dimensions. They don't think in having parts of the car talk to each other that often and much, and we're just getting through that. Uh, so there's going to be learning curve, pain, um, some missteps, some screw-ups, um, and some pissed-off people on both sides of the, the coin as we go through this because it, it's a brave new world. And um, at, le- at least at GM, we're, we're, we're setting out and saying, this is serious. We, we have to figure this out. We, we, can't, we can't simply defer this to our tier ones. We have to take control and, and, and create a, a direction and, and a vision there. Damien, what are you seeing across the other OEMs in terms of the shortening of the development cycles, You know, taking control of the software? For those of you that aren't familiar with automotive, the development cycles are typically three to five years long. So you start now working on programs that are going to hit the street in you know, three or four years. So it's, it's very painful for the development community you know, we've got innovation today. We want to get out into the car tomorrow, and that's just not how the ecosystem works. So, how are you? How are yeah, you I seeing? Mean, what are you seeing across other OEMs in terms of this kind of Silicon Valley nation of automotive? 
Yeah, you know, it's well. I mean, it's telling that nearly every automaker now has some kind of research facility out here. Um, we've got Ford just announced a uh, a new facility out here. BMW's been out here since like '96. Um, Mercedes Benz has been out here. Volkswagen, Audi's out here. Um, so they're very aware of what's going on in the kind of technology space, particularly out here on the West Coast. And uh, a lot of these a lot of these groups have been just kind of left to their own devices. Um, they've been um, Literally and figuratively, um, and uh, you know we've we've kind of seen these growing pains. Uh, you know, like uh, like Mark alluded to, um, the the average automotive development life, life cycle is actually a little bit longer. It's actually about like four to seven years. Um, automakers are trying to shorten that as quickly as possible. Um, Audi's doing something interesting in the sense that they're actually breaking out the infotainment system so infotainment would be like navigation music all that stuff they're breaking out the development of that system from the vehicle development and that way they can kind of try to at least attempt to keep pace with the consumer electronics world um so as an example like the uh, new audi a8 and a7 they've got an nvidia chipset that runs everything in the infotainment system it's a modular chipset though so if they want to they can actually pull out the head unit Grab the uh, the Tegra three processor that's in there and drop in a Tegra four. Just upgrade your system. Um, that's one kind of direction they're going. Um, but we've seen these growing pains, and um, you know BMW experienced it in two thousand one when they introduced iDrive. Anybody that's familiar with BMWs, um, there's this big central controller knob. So BMW was like, we've got all these different functions. And we don't want to have a dashboard littered with buttons and knobs. How are we going to figure this out? So they figured, okay, we're going to do one control knob. That's it. And it's going to control stuff on a screen. And it was a miserable, miserable failure. Um, Critics panned it. Consumer Reports gave it one of the lowest scores ever. And BMW, over the course of the last decade, have continued to evolve it. And it's actually now one of the best infotainment systems out there. Not only that, but this idea of a central control knob has now gone and been adopted by Audi and Mercedes. So obviously they were on to something. Um, the only automaker, only German automaker that hasn't done this is Porsche. And if you ever look at the dashboard on the new 911 or the Panamera, it's just this raft of buttons right in the middle. So um, on, on the growing pains topic as well, um, uh, Ford has had a lot of issues with their My Ford Touch system. Um, about uh, five years ago, they introduced Sync to the world, which is this really great system. You pair up your smartphone, you can stream audio, you can have all your contacts, really good voice controls. And they kind of took it a step further, maybe a step too far, and started uh, off with this new touchscreen-based system. And it was a complete cluster. Um, they had all kinds of uh, negative customer feedback. They issued an update earlier th- this year to address the complaints. Um, I'm aware of at least two cases where people are actually suing Ford for a lemon law, as an example, because of this system. Um, so this was them kind of reaching just a little bit too far. And again, this was a combination of not having the technology quite baked in, touchscreen issues being an issue. Um, and at the end of the day, automakers are, again, very different from consumer electronics companies. They don't really quite get solid user interface design like an Apple would or, an, or a Samsung or a Sony or something like that. Um, so we're going to see these growing pains, and I think we're going to see them more often. Um, you know, iDrive was 2001. My Ford Touch was in the last two or three years. I think we're going to kind of exponentially see more and more issues and more and more solutions come out in the next few years. So, Yeah, what I would add to that is we haven't been working in the digital auto space for very long, but 
uh, coming in had heard exactly this, that the development, the sales cycles are this long, the development cycles are this long, and then the vehicle's out for five to ten years. Um, I've actually been surprised and impressed by the flexibility and the extent to which a lot of the automakers uh, have been accelerating those timetables, And uh, which isn't to say that we're from concept to launch in a few months, but 12 to 18 month timeframes are becoming much more the norm. Um, so, uh, you know, not only that, but many of these systems are taking the longer views, uh, Dean mentioned, which is field upgradability. And so kind of recognizing that um, while the platform itself may be evolving and that there might be even different ones across different models, different markets, uh, and even different model years, uh, that there will be an ability to keep those maintained over time. So that as Pandora iterates and TuneIn iterates and Facebook iterates and so forth, uh, that those updates will be able to get into uh, those vehicles. So, uh, you know, again, kind of the, the flexibility that's being put into place uh, has been, I think, to of, of great benefit, and uh, most of the you know automakers are, are developing kind of overarching solutions. We see uh, taking that into consideration over time. I just to finish the story that David was telling you a little bit. <clears throat> to update your My Ford Touch now, you have to go back to the dealer, leave the car there, have them update the software on the in the head unit. So, and even in the Audi case, it's actually, still sorry to, yeah. sorry to interrupt. They actually know the uh, upgrade they did in March. They just send a USB drive to uh, consumers. Oh. So that was it. And I think the take rate for them yeah. taking to the dealer is like 5%. So they yeah, can do it. Take rate I actually dealer, did it myself yeah. just to like see how the it's process was. Minutes. Took an hour. Yeah, it was. It, it's. All but right. still, the, fact, the only yeah. reason I'm interrupting getting is better. we're just getting to the point now where like yeah. over the updates, over the updates like you get on your phone are just now coming to cars. Yeah. So and, and there's lots yeah. of right to repair laws in various states in this country that actually kind of limit what you can actually do in those those dimensions as well. So it's not as simple as... If, even if we wanted to, there's there's hurdles on policy that we have to clear. But your point's well taken. It has it's been a nightmare for the consumer yeah, yeah, today. Yeah. Oh. I mean, these 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 cars ship. You've got a system in it that you keep pretending. I mean, a car. You're not turning your car around like you turn around your phone or your TV. Most most consumers are keeping their car for ten years. So, you know, to date, the idea of updating your head unit has been a real nightmare for for most consumers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, this really hits home on maps, where maps have been outdated, and taking them in and getting them updated has been a pain. So you guys feel like we're kind of on the other side of that now? Oh, oh no. Because it doesn't feel like no, it to no, me. No, I wish. No, I really wish. Because even with the – I was wrong. I mean, I think I was yeah. thinking about the Ford Sync, not the MyTouch. Yeah. I think the previous yeah, they, they, the original iteration four years ago, it was like – Yeah, that. that's probably what I had in my head. Right. So the, But even with the USB drive, the average consumer is still going to – the technical consumer like you and most of us would be happy to go, uh, you know, play with all that. But most people are going to have a hard time with that even too. It, it, oh, it, it, it's part of it is that honestly, um, a lot of these systems weren't designed with that regular update mantra built into them from the beginning. And so some of these are, yes, they are updatable from a purely technical sense that you can change the software in the products after it's shipped. But from a customer's perspective, it's not updatable and that it doesn't happen like, you know, once again, a form of magic where I push the button and then my product is different because something happened over the air and it's now better than it used to be. Uh, and we're, we're still a ways from being able to do that effectively on, on a broad scale. 
I would add that uh, you know a lot of these experiences in the car today are being brokered through mobile devices, and so have application code running there that's then powering a display, which you know might have a more or less kind of coupled relationship. Uh, but that model does allow consumers to, of course, get updates from the markets and to the extent that they can drive you know small or, or maybe more meaningful changes in the HMIs uh, is is a possibility today. So let's talk a little bit about the life cycle of the car. Do we do do we think the life cycle of the car, you know, keeping a car for ten years is going to change? You know, the you look at the life cycle of a phone, life cycle of a television, as the capabilities of these devices have advanced, the life the the consumer uh, switch rates have have drastically reduced. Do we see this happening in the car, Phil? Um, I, I think it's going to, you know, putting in my. My, my, in, based on my long automotive experience, yeah. um, I, I really see it kind of bifurcating. I think there's going to be a class, and we even have it here on the panel, where the car is not going to be as important to them. And that they're, you know, in, in an urban setting with urban mobility and, and things of that nature, there's going to be a new class of, of people's interaction with their cars. There's going to be more ride share, zip car, you know, all these other means of, of sharing. And so, there, the notion of ownership and usage is very different. At the other end, I think that, and, and this is a great thing to say, is across the board, cars, and, and Damon, I love, love to hear your thoughts on this, across the board, cars are fundamentally one heck of a lot better than they were four or five, six years ago in terms yeah. of reliability and safety and stability. And 100,000 miles on a car is not the death knell of the car anymore it's really it's it's just going very well so i think that on the other end because of the quality the overall quality has risen so much and and pushed everybody up that there's going to be longer lived cars i think 10 years is not is not unexpected for cars they don't rust they're 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 mechanically more sound there's there's so much more going on there that i think you're going to have people that don't have a traditional ownership and then people that the car lives much longer. I think that it's going to go in both directions. Yeah, no, just to uh, break off that point, there's been a lot of talk of like uh, intermodal transportation, right? So if you've got your car and you get into a city and then you jump onto a bike that you're renting to get to work and, you know, that kind of thing, um, and, and kind of how all these disparate systems are coming together to be used um, to get you from point A to point B, um, and that could involve ride sharing, it could involve public transportation, it could involve... Um, rental car, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, <laughs> one of the problems with being an auto critic in this time and age is the fact that there are very few bad cars out there nowadays. I mean, it's really the truth. Like, I, I can't, the, the last car that I remember was really awful um, was at least five or six years ago, and I drive pretty much everything that's on the road nowadays. Um, you know, so not only are they good products right off the line, but reliability has gone through the roof. So, you know, we're talking, uh, you know, 100,000 miles isn't really much anymore um it's uh it's getting to the point now where you know and like i said earlier automakers are starting to break out okay here's the here's the uh technology side of things and here's the powertrain side of things powertrain engine transmission and that kind of thing and the more those two kind of uh bifurcate right they kind of split off um i i think will i think the consumer is going to be better served they're going to have a more reliable vehicle that's also continually updatable and if they can do that, then, then the automakers will kind of hit the nail on the head, so, if think, it's possible. I think there are, of course, some macro factors that affect that. Obviously, you know, the economy is down. People are going to hang on uh, to their possessions um, a, a bit longer. Um, at the same time, um, 
you know, I, I think that there's a uh, a level of differentiation among uh, the products that the manufacturers are putting out there that could potentially uh, drive uh, user directions and purchase behavior and so forth. At the end of the day, the, the kinds of work that we're doing with the connected car uh, is in help and support of moving more cars. And if a particular manufacturer gets to that right recipe, set of ingredients, the right experience where that vehicle, at least from the infotainment perspective, becomes a status symbol or something that's well ahead, well beyond, well innovating, uh, then you know that's going to move more vehicles and uh, potentially change some of those uh, life cycle numbers. Okay, let's open it up for questions. We've only got about 15 minutes left here. Once you get the mic, if you can just tell us who you are and uh, then ask your question. Hi, name is Anthony Bruno. I work with uh, digitalmusic.org. It's a trade association. I was just curious. I was interested earlier you were talking about sort of the lack of standardization and APIs and whatnot on the automotive side uh, to integrate all of this. I was just curious if you thought that there was any organization or standardization or anything necessary more on the digital music service side that would make some of this integration go quicker or faster. I mean, on the automo- on the automaker side, they've um, you know there's been the car con- car connectivity consortium, uh, which has been around for God, I don't know four or five years now, and um, it's uh, pretty much borne very little fruit. Um, you know, as far as uh, as far as app providers are concerned, I, I think Phil would probably be better uh, suited to answer that. Yeah, I um, I think actually that there's not a great deal of variability. It, or let me put it this way. Uh, my experience with the music providers is there's a common set of capabilities that they all share. You know, play, stop, you know, reverse. There's common elements. But then on, on top of it, they have the parts that they try to make unique to them, whether it's a thumbs up, thumbs down type of thing or a slider in another application or there's, there's these natures of, of how they're differentiating themselves. And so... If, if you boil it down to this common set, then that differentiation is going to be lost at some level, and some of the unique values of each of those services is going to be risked at some level. So I think that that's a really tough problem to solve. I don't know if, you, if, if Chris has thought more about that, I'm sure, than I have. I mean, the, the web or matrix of OEMs and Tier 1 providers is incredibly complicated, so more complicated than anything else we've seen just in terms of navigating the technology partners of each OEM. And so uh, just trying to standardize implementations across our own app has been incredibly difficult. Um, and so we continue to try, but Stephen's whispering HTML5, which I brought up a few <laughs> times, which really is like this, the, the, the big hope is that the, the browser in the car supports the same set of features and codecs and video codecs, audio codecs, so that we can sort of standardize on, in our app and all the other apps um, across the various platforms. I think that's the most hopeful future for that. I'm going to ask Stephen a question. So what do you think? Do you think HTML5 is the panacea or a solution for this? Oh, definitely not the panacea because, you know, obviously the browser only takes you so far and there's a whole level of integration into the the automobile in terms of location-based services, some of the other capability of the car that you'd like to utilize to create a very rich consumer experience. So no, it's not, but I think it helps. <laughs> it, gets you, it gets you part of the way there. Yeah, I think there's great hope for technology standardization along these lines or potentially others, but 
data standardization uh, is a really difficult problem. So you've got a lot of potentially proprietary owners of that. Specific to the music side, um, I think that there are some potential opportunities um, you know, microformats as, as well as services like Music Brains and so forth to, again, provide some additional <laughs> metadata. <laughs> What's that? Sorry. Um, again, to complement you know, the overall experiences in the vehicles. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Phil Keyes with Mido Media. Um, I saw an interesting presentation given by Ford's second uh, camera labs called Open XConnect or XC. It's an open source um, project where it takes information coming off the CAN bus and puts out a JSON representation so developers can use that. And um, Philip, I don't know if GM is working on anything similar. There's a particular standards body so you can get kind of context information from the card to help apps learn how they could uh, control the experience to make it safer. Well, th there's one physical interface that's about providing information, which is the OBD2 port on cars that was done really around being able to have multiple people more, be able to service it and, and, you know, and provide service to the cars. Uh, and some of that information um, we're looking to expose through some, some common set of APIs. Um, and we've, we're, we're in kind of an early stage on that right now. But I don't believe there's really like the Connected Car Consortium isn't really trying to tackle that one just yet in terms of a, a pan-industry uh, pan view on it. There, there is, that we're aware of, no standardization efforts currently underway in that area. And that's, that's what we were just talking about, getting access to the, the vehicle information of understanding what the car is doing. And that's different for every OEM. Uh, and, and it can be different within each and, OEM for and, each different head and, unit. And, and there's a lot of, you know, there, there's a set that is going to be common across OEMs. And there's going to be an inordinately wide array of things that are truly unique across OEMs because they are implementing systems and sensors and processes within the car very differently. Uh, and so it, that, that one's going to be hard to get a big enough, you know, the Venn diagram is going to overlap between what's useful and what's common is, is going to be a little bit smaller than we might, you might anticipate. In uh, November, there's a, a W3C event in Italy. Yes. We have an automotive, so maybe that's part of the discussion there. Yeah. Yeah. Hey there, Michael Drexler, uh, BMI. I had a question for Stephen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just curious um, <laughs> what, what Grace Note has been up to in that space. You didn't really talk about well, that in, much in on automotive? the panel. And what car do you drive? <laughs> so in automotive, you know, Grace Note's been very active in automotive. We launched our first Grace Note enabled cars in 2001. Uh, there's 28 million cars on the road that have Grace Note inside of them today, and that number will almost double in the next three years. So it's been a very, very active space for us. Um, we started out providing CD recognition in the cars, um, the kind of magic of understanding what your CD is and providing the metadata for that. Uh, we've evolved that now to a very rich set of automotive solutions that handle everything from indexing all of the content that's on your iPhone or your Android device, enabling that for playlisting, bringing licensed cover art into the car, providing phonetics data for uh, your music collection so that the voice systems can work with it. We have a very broad partnership with Nuance around this. So for us, a uh, very, very active space. We work with every OEM in the world uh, at this point, uh, every major tier one in the world. So it's been it's about 35% of our business. And by the way, for some perspective. Thanks for the softball. <laughs> for I drive a Mercedes GL 550. There we go. Yeah. yeah. And just for some perspective, uh, 
28 million cars. It's kind of a random figure. That's one quarter of all the vehicles on the planet. Uh, or we just passed the one billion mark about three months ago. So, could you want him back there? Hi, I'm Rocky Thomas with AdSwiz. So I have a, quish, a question about monetization. How are you guys looking at the revenue models from the publishing side? Have you guys have any sense of how you're going to be doing this? Uh, I know I, I hit like a. They were hoping line. you weren't going to ask. I that know. Question. I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm a sales gal. What can I do? Uh, I'll take. The, I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about monetization, as you can read about in our now the Republic. Uh, <laughs> audio ads is really the future for the car for us, just as it is in the terrestrial world today. So, you know, we continue to make huge inroads in that arena, and uh, in terms of garnering local dollars and. Uh, national ad dollars in terms of the audio ads and uh, when there are interactions by you know people in other arenas not in the car we'll use our continue to use our vis- vis- visual inventory so yeah Chris is absolutely right that the future is in audio monetization and there's a tremendous gap today when you look at at least from an AM FM perspective uh, the kinds of rates that they're getting uh, for the audience that they're getting uh, with the visibility into the audience that they actually have uh, relative to where we are today uh, on the audio ad marketplace Um, and the basic problem is that there is no marketplace you've got a lot of these folks that are kind of going after it in one-off fashion Um, and so as that matures that equation is going to start to turn more into the favor so you'll see some uh, kinds of monetization you know, occurring there that you see on the desktop today. At the same time, you know, there's a, a lot of time and effort going into how to better monetize mobile more generally. Uh, you've got you know smaller form factor to deal with, uh, less typical eyeball interaction, and so again, those fundamentals are there on the audio side to uh, create a market that's uh, you know much much bigger than it is today. Okay, last question, Deborah. Ah, yes, Deborah Newman from New York. For those of us New Yorkers who don't have cars, <laughs> some of this is... Uh, so, so for those of us New Yorkers who don't have cars, some of this is kind of hypothetical because I've actually not seen, other than demos that we did a few years ago, what this looks like. And, you know, in a lot of states, you can't talk on a phone and drive a car. And the safety issues of texting and driving have proven to be a really big problem. So... Uh, my question is really a safety question. So some of this stuff is now using voice activation. I'm curious as to how far uh, Nuance and companies like that have gotten in terms of its accuracy and its usability from a user standpoint with voice activation. And where there's not a voice recognition and it's a touch screen or something, what kind of issues do you see coming up with regards to safety like the phones and the texting and stuff like that? That's a really broad topic. Yeah, that's a, it's a, that, 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 safety's a say, big that's one. an entirely different panel altogether. But um, you, you could just generally but, say yeah, vo- yeah. voice is getting a lot better, a lot better. Yeah. You've already seen OEMs start to announce that they're going to put Siri you know, directly into the, the steering wheel so you can use the kind of concierge-type services in the car. So from that perspective, voice absolutely is a big part of the future of media navigation in the car. No doubt about it. I think, Phil, just shake your head. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> y- yes, it is. And um, you know, the, here, shameless plug, the, the, the car that we have out front here, um, w- with Grace noted in a lot, it is one of the better implementation of a natural language, um, and that, which was one of the biggest hurdles. You know, if, if you had to train the, the driver to speak in a particular pattern, 
that was never going to be broadly popular. Just it's not you know that that we're human beings, we're lazy inherently, and that those things, learning that is, is not something you want to do. Natural language is incredibly important in this. Uh, I also think that that we, we there are a number of opportunities around um, not only visual distraction but the notion of cognitive loading. Is what are you asking people to think about? Not only actually interact with that 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 is a big challenge for the collective ecosystem that's delivering these capabilities and figuring out how to simplify those things is um, high on our list of of things that we're working very hard on. I I would just add as an app provider, we rely heavily on our OEM partners and tier ones to really help us. They have years, many, many years of experience in uh, driver distraction, and so we really encourage them to own the interface for, for that reason and also the fact that, you know, they're they're you know we're trying to help bring that simple interface of Pandora to the car, but at the same time they have an interface paradigm that they're trying to fit into their entire gestalt. So you know we try to work with them on both of those fronts, um, but really encouraging them to have ownership. Yeah, so I mean, we're we're out of time, wow. sadly. Um, thanks everybody for p- participating. Hopefully this is not the first and last year that we talk about auto at uh, SF Music Tech. As you guys have seen, very rich ecosystem. The, the uh, panelists will be around for a few minutes if you want to talk to them. And thank you everybody for attending. Good job, Steve. <laughs>